Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's going to be a big hour. Gary Sinise standing by, one of the greatest actors of our generation, self-made a success story. Nick Adams compares uh, Trump and Churchill in a very unique way. He's going to be with us shortly uh, when the youngest uh, serving uh, deputy uh, prime ministers in Australian history. And Congressman Michael Waltz, he's uh, not only is he a former Green Beret assistant to Vice President Cheney, he's congressman from Florida who is just pointing out that uh, China, what they are doing uh, to our ships, nine separate incidents with our ships. And also he points out Apple will not open a iPhone for the FBI, ends up being an Al-Qaeda terrorist attack in Pensacola, right? But they would cooperate with China, everything from removing apps to removing content. How about that for a double standard? We'll talk about all that and more, as well as track the president as he goes to Florida today. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think we've been awoken to the fact that Chinese totalitarianism threatens us here at home. Over the last decade through globalization, all the supply chains moved away. And oh my gosh, we're now we don't have access to certain drugs that China could deny us. Yeah. These are things that, we, that shouldn't be happening. Massive movement away from getting our vital manufacturing back to our country uh, for sanity and security. I hope America understands how desperate the situation is. China, their belligerence continues and their tension between our countries ratchets up as Apple's loyalty to China over America emerges. Number two. I wish I knew what was going on with Judge Sullivan. I I can't say that I do, other than he has gone way out into left field. He can't appoint a prosecutor himself. The case is over and his bias is so egregious he should be removed from the case. Michael Flynn's legal team into action, and you know her, looking to oust the unhinged judge who extended Michael Flynn's purgatory. And more intel shows exactly what Comey Rice and even Obama were up to, and Biden, in the final days of their administration, thanks to you, Susan Rice. Number one. All 50 states, as of today, are partially reopening their economies. And the American people are responding and breathing that uh, free air again. They're doing it responsibly. It's a testament to the resilience uh, of the American people. Maybe. I think it's too slow in a lot of states, especially in New York. Success. That's what we're seeing as 50 states begin differing phases of reopening. The biggest win, the first one. Georgia, while in other areas, crackdowns continue on people who want to jump the gun and the pain of the national shutdown persists. Uh, Joining me now is Gary Sinise. His industry is totally shut down. Look, uh, no matter how much money you have, success you have, fame or lack thereof, everyone's been affected by something for the first time in my life. Uh, And I'm seeing it. If you're an actor, a performer, if you're a producer or a lighting person, all, you have just ground to a halt. There's just no business. You rent RVs to bands. Think about the ramifications and the ripple effect of what we've been dealing with over the last, uh, over the last few months. 
Meanwhile, this week is going to be Memorial Day. It's a time, it's going to be a different Memorial Day than ever before. Kicking off, I understand, kicking off the, uh, uh, the summer uh, traditionally. Uh, but a lot of beaches are shut down. But the one thing is for sure, there's one thing you could do to feel the patriotism, and that is tune in Sunday, May 24th on PBS, 8 to 9.30 Eastern Time, as uh, they pay tribute uh, to our troops on Memorial Day weekend. Co-hosting uh, this great show is uh, Tony-winning award actor Joe Montaigne, but our good friend, who's also won an Emmy, uh, Gary Sinise. This is the 31st annual concert event, and Gary, it's going to be like no other. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Good to be back. So, I, hey, I know you guys taped this already. How did you do it, and what part, how did you pull this off? Well, this is this is a, something that I look forward to every year. Joe and I, Joe Montaigne, uh, we've been buddies for many years, and we've co-hosted this show together many times over the years. Uh, we usually do it on, on the front lawn of the U.S. Capitol in front of a couple hundred thousand people live. Obviously, we can't do that uh, this year. But it's very, very important that uh, we remember Memorial Day is about paying tribute to the the men and women who have fallen in service and defense of freedom uh, in the, during the history of our country. And so it's very important to remember that and to remember, remember the families and uh, the people on the front lines. We wanted to do a show uh, even though we can't do it live. So Joe and I were able to get together in my office, a uh, very skeleton crew. I had uh, two of our great uh, video guys who do the videos for the Gary Sneeze Foundation. They set up a couple of cameras. Uh, it was just the two of them and, and Joe and I, and we were in my office, and Joe was standing six feet away from me, and we shot some segments that will tie together uh, a bunch of uh, a, a bunch of the pieces from the past. Uh, you know, they have 30 years of content, uh, wonderful shows over the years, wonderful segments and they've pulled some very important ones and meaningful ones some very moving ones uh beautiful songs and and whatnot and they pulled uh, from a lot of great shows and uh, joe and i tie it all together uh of course your book was a bestseller and everybody knows uh uh, the lieutenant dan dan band and all you've done with your foundation the gary sinise foundation you go to gary sinise foundation.org the thing that i think i like recommending to your foundation because so many people want to give but they're worried about being taken advantage of you make sure that money goes to the right place in fact you don't take a dime as you do these charity events as you do these events with lieutenant dan band right i i do not i i have uh, played personally uh, you know maybe, maybe 500 concerts over the years and uh, it's part of my service mission. It's not something I do for 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 uh, for a salary or anything like that. I have to pay the band and right. pay the production costs and everything like that. But I play for free, and uh, the band is part of my foundation. Uh, I you know I started going on USO tours and supporting our military and and doing what I could to lift spirits by just simply showing up, and then I started taking the musicians with me. And and uh, now we've played hundreds of concerts, and it's all about lifting spirits and and boosting morale and, and making somebody feel better. And when you go to the Gary Sneeze Foundation website, you'll see our various programs on there. We have multiple programs operating in, in multiple spaces, including uh, 
our first responder outreach, which now we have a, a brand new uh, initiative called the Emergency COVID-19 Combat Service we launched about a month and a half ago to raise additional funds so that we could support uh, the more fire departments, police departments, uh, healthcare workers in hospitals across the country. Uh, and we're raising money there. And if you want to be part of uh, helping us to help these other people, I encourage you to go to the Gary Sinise Foundation website and see what we're doing and help us help other people. We're, we want to be part of this fight and part of uh, backing up the frontline workers who are doing so much to uh, battle this pandemic. And I tell you what, this is going to, your rating is going to be huge for this show uh, on Sunday because, I, to be honest, there's a lot of, number one, the weather's not going to be good in the Northeast. Number two, a lot of the beaches are just shut down. Where they're so limited, people say, why bother? They say you can't sit, you got to keep walking because you know how dangerous it is sitting on the sand. It, you know, there's really no turning back from that. Uh, and swimming, my goodness, if you caught swimming, uh, how dare you? So people are going to be watching as you guys pay tribute to the troops. That's May 24th, that's Sunday, from 8 to 9.30, and it's a great show, uh, truly inspiring and patriotic. So a quick thing for you, uh, Gary, your other job is acting and producing. And I was just struck by this story on Sunday, almost everything shut down. I saw uh, they have two productions. One is in Iceland, one is in Australia, they talked about different ways to keep the set, uh, I guess, COVID-19 free. One of which is color-coded. You're going to be wearing wristbands and only certain people can go in certain areas. In Australia, they told the whole crew, you're going to test you and you're not allowed to leave or we can't bring anyone in. You're basically quarantined together. What kind of sacrifices are you willing to really? make to do a movie? I didn't see that. I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, so- yeah, it's a Stephen King adaption that uh, uh, they quarantined. They're shooting it together. Um, it's from Sunday's New York Times. I was fascinated. Iceland and Australia. Would you be willing to do those type of sacrifices for a pro- for a production? Uh, I'm I'm not leaving my house. <laughs> I'm, I'm staying home right now. <laughs> I'm not going no, see, to Iceland. So you would, no, uh, I guess. No. Okay. But that that's. that's well, I guess amazing. you. Know, I, I haven't heard that, but. Our industry obviously is just completely shut down when and that you know it's not not just the actors there are so many people involved in making a I TV know. show or a movie and and uh, a lot of those folks are out of work right now because the entertainment business is just shut down. Is this the most time in one place you've had me really since maybe your teenage your teen years? <laughs> Well, it's cer- certainly uh, my family is, uh, you know, I'm spending more, more time with the family than I have in, in many, many years because, you know, there'd be, you know, I'd, I'd go on the road and then uh, go out and perform for the troops or whatever, come home, be here for two weeks and uh, go out again. And I have not uh, been home uh, this many days in a row for many, many years, uh, either shooting movies or TV shows or are playing for the troops or traveling the hospitals, whatever we do. We do a lot of different things with Gary Sinise Foundation, and it always requires me to get on an airplane. So can't do that now. So uh, I'm enjoying you know, just the family time and, and trying to be safe and, and uh, to uh, support my foundation and our work out there to help our, uh, our defenders. And I mean, when I went out to shoot with Joe Montana, 
That was, I think that was the first time I'd been out of the house, uh, off the property since, uh, for, for a couple of months. And I went, went there. Wow. There's only a couple of us in there, and Joe and I shot that uh, those sequences that are going to be on, on Sunday night. Great. Hey, Gary, always great to see you. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to see each other at one point again from a distance uh, within six feet. Uh, Gary Sinise, thanks so much. We're going to be watching you Sunday uh, on the 24th uh, from 8 to 930. Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, Gary, thank you for all you do. Paying tribute to our troops on Memorial Day weekend, that's Gary Sinise. Gary, thanks a lot. Brian, I appreciate it, and I appreciate you helping me launch my book last uh, last year. Thanks for supporting. Yeah, my honor. It was a, a multiple-week bestseller. It was fantastic. I uh, appreciate it. Gary Sinise, giving back. Meanwhile, it's time for us to move over to Congressman Michael Waltz. We'll take a short time out and come back with what he discovered about Apple. Double standard. FBI, no go. China, just ask me what you need. It's Brian Kilmeade. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It was clear at the time that the phones were likely to contain very important information. Indeed, Al-Shamrani attempted to destroy both of the phones, even going so far as to disengage from the gunfight long enough to fire a bullet into one of the phones. Unfortunately, Apple would not help us unlock the phones. Unbelievable, unacceptable. I don't care about uh, privacy. It is Al-Qaeda. And that is what the AG said and Chris Ray, the FBI director, confirmed. Congressman Michael Waltz joins us, House Armed Services Committee. Congressman, what can we do about this? Apple kowtows to China, but they stiff-armed the FBI. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Brian. That sense has taken the FBI, I, what, five months, six months 
to crack into this phone, not knowing whether there were other ongoing plots. We have over 20 military bases just in Florida alone. There's thousands of foreign students uh, uh, all over uh, the United States, foreign military students that are studying and training on our bases. And uh, who knows what could have been prevented or what was going on while Apple just flat out said, no, we're not going to help you. Uh, even though this was an active, ongoing terrorist operation uh, that we now know uh, was at least coordinated, if not in- inspired by uh, al-Qaeda. Do they feel burned by the Snowden revelations that showed they had, they had cooperated in the past? Yeah. Yeah, no, this is exactly what's going on. So, so what, what Apple will say is, well, if we create a backdoor that is that you know law enforcement can lawfully use, and I want to be very clear, this is in terrorism cases. Very different. We have to draw a line when it comes to anything to do with U.S. citizens. But an active, you know, after the shooting has happened, after the attack has happened, Apple's saying if we create a backdoor, then anybody can get in it. And that's just, I think that's just a weak excuse. What's really going on is after Snowden revealed that tech was working with uh, with American agencies, whether it was to work against our adversaries or to stop terrorist plots, they had a huge blowback from you know the millennial types and others in Hollywood and others, and it was bad. You know, it was bad for their reputation in those circles, and so I think that's what's really uh, going on here. They can do this in a way and keep it uh, secure and keep it. Uh, in, in classified circles, um, just like what the FBI eventually was able to crack into the phone, but we don't know how they were able to do it or the tools that they were able to do it with. This can be done, Brian. This is about their reputation as they see it, yet they don't care about what they do with China, what they do with Russia, and they've been actively working with those authoritarian regimes. So they'll work with them but they won't work with the United States government to take down terrorists. It's ridiculous. So, so wait a second. So and when it comes to China, they asked him to take down an app that allowed those Hong Kong protesters to communicate. Did they do it? Yeah, they did. Uh, not only did they do that, they were asked by China to move some of its data on its own citizens into places where the Chinese government, the Communist Party, could have access. So this is going after the Uyghurs, the Tibetans, uh, and, and uh, you know, other political targets, Christians and others. And they did the same thing with Russia as well, where they basically made sure that the data on its citizens were in Russia so that it could be so that it could be accessed. You know, I mean, we're seeing this across big tech. Uh, Google has the same type of hypocrisy where they wouldn't work with the Pentagon on an artificial intelligence program called Maven. Uh, but yet they would work with the Chinese on what it called its dragonfly search engine. Eventually, under pressure, they stopped that as well. But but this hypocrisy from big tech is just uh, it's just jaw dropping. Uh, there's in there's a lot of stuff going on now with China. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. What about their students coming back in the fall 
we got to worry about infections and the virus. Shouldn't we use this as a way to just stop this and just tell China you can't come here because too many are using this to infiltrate our college, uh, our college system? Yeah, well, this, this uh, China task force that, we're, that we've developed now in the House, uh, unfortunately right now it's just Republicans. The Democrats backed out after they had already agreed to participate. That's one of the things that, that, uh, that we're going to be looking at. The 400,000 Chinese students that were given visas to come here, uh, many of them go into robotics and artificial intelligence, uh, uh, advanced materials and others. Uh, and, and they're good kids. I want to be clear, Brian, before anybody throws out, you know, accusations of racism or xenophobia, they're fine. Their government forces them to vacuum up technology. But the, the bigger piece in my mind are just as bad are the American professors under the Chinese Talents Program who take millions of dollars in DOD research money and then take that right over to Beijing being on their payroll as well. It's got to stop and the task force is going to stop. Michael, Michael Waltz, thanks so much for what you do. Appreciate it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Why would you write a memorandum to the record for yourself unless you assumed that somebody was going to come and look for those look for those clues? Mm-hmm. She says that President Obama said, well, is there any reason we shouldn't bring the new team in on what we're doing with Russia? Well, as if that decision was being made then. I know three weeks before General Flynn and I were in Susan Rice's office for the handover briefing and every other topic was mentioned. North Korea, China, ISIS, all the other issues that were on the table, but they didn't mention anything about Russia. And yet they knew at that point that they were about to sanction Russia for election interference. So none of it really jives unless you look at it from the perspective of they knew they had done something wrong and now they were trying to cover their tracks. I I rarely bump in with a soundbite that long, but here's why I wanted to do it. Welcome back, everybody. That was KT McFarlane, former deputy to Michael Flynn. They both were forced out of office. Now we know for they were really attacked and targeted. She wrote a book about it, but she wasn't all clear until this Michael Flynn revelations came out and the AG stepped up and said, this guy never should have been questioned or targeted. I have no problem with Kislyak conversations as the incoming national security advisor. Who is Kislyak? The, uh, the Russian ambassador. I'm sure if I looked at his uh, phone, it had calls to Israel. And I'm sure during that conversation, these are my words, not hers, uh, that he talked about how his policy uh, with President Trump is going to be dramatically different than President Obama. I'm sure Erdogan and the president had a different and the future president had a different conversation. And so I'm sure he knew Flynn. They had a different conversation. They have different relationships and each each uh, administration comes in with different approaches and different priorities. But they use those five conversations with Kislyak. They say they were unusual. And then we brought to a January 5th meeting. Barack Obama, Vice President Biden, James Comey and Susan Rice are in this meeting. And all I know what happened in this meeting, before I tell you what happened in the meeting, know on January 20th, when the administration had technically said goodbye and hello, President Trump, 
Susan Rice quickly emailed herself a memorandum of the January 5th meeting. Why? Because it, I think, covered her butt because she knew as she left office, all this stuff was going to be exposed. How many uh, Trump officials were on mass? What were they actually up to? Were they legitimately thinking that Donald Trump was an agent of Russia along with Michael Flynn, a 32-year veteran who, who came up in the Cold War and killed al-Qaeda like nobody else, including Zarqawi. So this memo was released by Rick Grinnell yesterday, fully. And it said on January 5th, she just writes this up. Why would you write, think about this. Why would you write a dear diary? If you, sometimes you have, a, people have diaries, they want to just remember certain things. This was just, let me just tell you what happened, because sooner or later it's going to come out. I have news for you, Susan Rice. It came out. Is she ever not lying, by the way? Will she, how could you even consider her as a vice presidential candidate? All she does is lie in major situations. On January 5th, following this, I'm reading the memo now. On January 5th, following a briefing by IC um, uh, leadership on Russian hacking during the 2016 presidential election, President Obama had a brief follow-on conversation with Comey, Sally Yates, in the Oval Office, and Vice President Biden and I were present. President Obama began the conversation by stressing his continued commitment to ensuring that every aspect of this issue is handled by the intelligence community and law enforcement community by the book. Wow, by the book. So that's like me writing an email to myself just by saying, I just got to tell you, me and my family and my friends, we are perfect. The president has stressed that he is not asking about initiating or instructing anything from a law enforcement perspective. He reiterated that our law enforcement team needs to proceed in a normal manner by the book. Why would you ask that? It's like coming up to somebody and go, I did not rob the bank. Okay, I didn't ask you. I even wrote it down that I didn't rob the bank. From National Security's perspective, President Obama says he wants to make sure that we engage the incoming team. We are mindful to ascertain if there is any reason that we cannot share information fully as it relates to Russia. This is the key. This was labeled top secret and I believe redacted. You didn't know this before yesterday. Director Comey affirmed that he is proceeding by the book as it relates to law enforcement. Now, I asked Lindsey Graham about this yesterday because I was doing a hit on special report with Brett Baer and we were doing this topic. He says, yeah, if they were doing it by the book, I would throw the book out because this is not the book that you follow. From a national security perspective, Comey said he does have some concerns that incoming NSA Flynn is speaking frequently with the Russian ambassador Kislyak. Comey said there would be an issue as it relates to sharing sensitive information. Wow. So think about this for a second. President Obama is telling James Comey, I'm asking him a question. Do you think it's okay to share intelligence with the incoming administration about Russia, who's taking control in 15 days? President Obama asked if Comey was saying that the NSC should not pass sensitive information related to Russia to Flynn, who, by the way, he knows because he had him for two years as director of the Defense Intelligence Agency and fired him. Comey replied, potentially. So he's saying, potentially, I can't share information with the NSA, with the National Security Director. Really? How could that be? It's out of your hands anyway. And if Comey's going to be bled over to this administration, which he was, and it was a bad move, and Trump knows it, keeping him, he said, I'm not sharing Russian information with you. Flynn passed on classified information to Kislyak, but he noted that the level of communication is unusual. So Comey says he never caught him. Susan Rice says she never saw anything directly. James Clapper said under oath he never saw anything correct, correct, um, uh, connect uh, Putin and the Trump team. But they didn't tell Trump. They didn't tell Pence and they didn't tell Flynn, but Flynn, they actually cornered and tricked into talking and admitted to something that was not against the law. Hence, 
he was exonerated. Hence, this idiot judge decides not to let Michael Flynn go because he thinks he's still a traitor. So they roll out a retired judge, if you're following this, who just wrote a column how bad Flynn is and how bad Trump is. That's the guy that's going to provide some analysis whether he should let go of this case. I hope you're able to follow all that. Just know this. Michael Flynn is sitting in the wings. I talked about this last night. It's time to hear from Michael Flynn. And Susan Rice says, I want to release all the transcripts. So do I. So let's hear it. At which time, we'll hear Michael Flynn giving away the country to the multiple-chinned ambassador from Russia. He's given away the farm. 33 years, three-star general. He's really a Russian agent. No. Know what he really is? He's a guy who thought President Obama had the worst foreign policy of his lifetime and was so abhorred by it, he loved Trump enough, even though they had their differences on tweeting, to say, I'll be a national security advisor because I want to make sure the daily brief was full of exactly what CENTCOM wanted to be. This Iran deal was ripped up, Israel was supported, and ISIS was confronted. That was the problem. He was going to blow up Barack Obama's foreign policy, in my view. We'll talk about this today. When we come back, we talk about Churchill and Trump. How were they alike? Back in a moment. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. What kind of a people do they think we are? Is it possible they do not realize that we shall never cease to persevere against them until they have been taught a lesson which they and the world will never forget? And that wasn't live. That was Winston Churchill a long time ago, but those words still ring true today. And a lot of people refer back to Winston Churchill when they need uh, advice on leadership uh, because he wrote so much chronicled almost entire life, and so did so many other people because he had such an extraordinary life now as a warfighter, a reporter, a lawmaker, and then prime minister twice. Uh, joining us now to discuss that and how Trump and Churchill are alike is Nick Adams, Nick Adams best-selling author. Uh, he has written his latest book. It's called Trump and Churchill, Defenders of Western Civilization. Nick, welcome back. Hello, Brian. Always a pleasure to join you and your listeners. Hey, good. So, Nick, when did you see the, how do you see the comparisons between Trump and Churchill? Churchill is a figure Look, to last through generations. Do you think Trump is the same way? I, Brian, I've been a lifelong student of both men. I got my first book of Winston Churchill speeches when I was 10. I read The Art of the Deal when I was 14. And I've been a lifelong admirer of both men. And as I watched Donald Trump first as candidate and then as president over the last three and a half years, I realized that my two of my favorite people had a lot in common. Now, on the surface, Brian, you wouldn't think so. Churchill was five foot six and loved to drink. President Trump is a six foot three teetotaler. Uh, Winston Churchill famously napped every opportunity he could in his pajamas. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, by all accounts, doesn't sleep. One was this soaring, compelling orator. Uh, the other, not so much. Uh, But as soon as you start to drill down a little, you find that the two men very similar. 
both intensely disliked, even hated, both loved their country, both alpha males, both clear thinkers and plain speakers, both had an acrimonious relationship with the media, both faced battles with a political establishment, both had very weak predecessors. Of course, uh, Churchill had Neville Chamberlain and Donald Trump had Barack Obama. And to say that Chamberlain and Obama had the spine of jellyfish may be unkind to jellyfish. And that juxtaposition, I think, is only, only serves to heighten both men's qualities. Yeah, and without that predecessor, maybe they don't get elected because they were so inverse from that guy uh, that they took over from. So as, uh, as Trump struggles to get a second term, remember Winston Churchill uh, brings to England through World War II, but they tell him we no longer want you as prime minister. How, do you see, <laughs> is that a bad precursor for Trump in his next term? Uh, you know, it's really interesting, Brian. You're 100% right. Uh, Winston Churchill did lose the election after winning the war for England. But what a lot of people don't remember is that just a few years later, he was re-elected for a second stint as Prime Minister. So ultimately, they did go back to Winston Churchill. Look, I'm very sanguine about the President's prospects in November. Uh, I think he's going to win. And I actually think he's going to win handily. I think his margin of victory will be greater than what it was in 2016, because before that, people were just voting for him based on speculation. Uh, and what he was saying, now they've actually got a record that they can vote for him on. Very interesting. So Nick Adams, our guest. Let's hear a little bit more from Winston Churchill. Never give in. Never, never, never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Uh, that's pretty much Trump. Never give in, never apologize, never look back. Always look forward, always on the attack. Is that another similarity? It really is. Both men uh, believe in the power of positive thinking. Uh, Churchill was an optimist, so is Trump. Uh, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio just a couple of weeks ago came out and accused President Trump of peddling what he termed false optimism. Uh, Similarly, Winston Churchill was often accused of the same thing. And in my book, in Trump and Churchill, Defenders of Western Civilization, Brian, we actually reproduce excerpts from British national newspapers in the late 1930s, early 1940s about Winston Churchill. And if I didn't say to you, Brian, those excerpts are from British national newspapers and they're about Winston Churchill, if I just read them out aloud to you, you would think I was quoting the New York Times or the Washington Post modern day about Donald Trump. So identical are the accusations and the criticisms that they're too optimistic, that they don't listen to anybody around them, that they're overconfident, that they don't take something seriously enough. Uh, it's really incredible the parallels that I discovered in writing this book, Trump and Churchill, between the two men and now the two times with this invisible enemy that we're fighting. Uh, Nick, that's a good point. The other thing is they're both from famous, uh, very successful dads, right? Uh, and also said, was sent away for school for a while, correct? So there was a lot to live yeah. up to. And Winston Churchill never really felt, if I'm correct, Nick, you're the expert, Never felt like his dad appreciated him. He was a bit of a wild man as a kid. And I'm looking back at Donald Trump's youth. I remember he got so out of control, they sent him to military school upstate. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yes. Uh, both had interesting relationships with their fathers. And 
Of course, that tends to be a hallmark of really great and successful men. Uh, they, they often are trying to live up to their dads. Uh, Churchill's mother, of course, also, Brian, we can't forget, uh, is half, was half American. Uh, and that's something I think that a lot of people uh, miss. And that's why, you know, generally speaking, Brian, uh, Americans, we really don't tend to care what's going on in the rest of the world. But Winston Churchill is an exception. A lot of Americans resonate with Winston Churchill, or I should say he resonates with them. And the reason for it, I think, and I make this case in the book, is that he was so American. He was bold. He was brash. He took risks. He refused to to conform. He upended. He was a disruptor, a catalyst for change. All of those kind of things that that uh, we see in America and that we pride as as happening in America, Winston Churchill embodied. Very interesting. And then, of course, he spent considerable time here, even during the war, would hang out at the, uh, the White House uh, forever. Definitely understood that he needed America in this fight and felt very uh, comfortable here. Felt like he really understood this country. Uh, the, now, uh, Winston Churchill, in retrospect, is he now I know Margaret Thatcher does not have a great reputation in England like we hold her in a higher esteem than maybe the Brits do. If shot me if I'm wrong there. How is how do the uh, Brits view Winston Churchill today? Well, they certainly view, view him better than Margaret Thatcher. Uh, you're quite right. The Margaret Thatcher doesn't enjoy all that much love in modern day England. Uh, Winston Churchill uh, has been repeatedly voted as the uh, greatest Britain to have ever lived by the English people. But I must say that now, slowly, that is eroding. And I doubt that my book is going to assist his reputation in England, uh, being associated with Donald Trump. Look, uh, Winston Churchill is somebody uh, that we've got to remember, Brian, wasn't really appreciated in his time. And uh, Donald Trump, likewise, right now, isn't really appreciated. I know that the president doesn't feel that he's appreciated, and I agree with him. But both of them, I think, are Van Gogh-type leaders that are appreciated often after their lifetime. And I wrote this book because so much has been written and so much has been said about Donald Trump and the, his administration, but nothing yet from a historical perspective. And it's early. It's very early in the 21st century. It's, it's early because, as I say, I think Donald Trump will win another four years in November. But I think that there are early signs that Donald Trump could go on to become one of, if not the greatest figures of the 21st century. Very interesting. Uh, so, President Trump, lastly, your, what is the Australian's view of Donald Trump? I know he had a clash with your, uh, the president that was there prior. What about this one? Well, that's really interesting as well. Yeah, look, uh, Donald Trump is is not really liked in Australia, like he's not liked in Europe and, and, and other places. Of course, uh, being the leader of America, America is a country that really can never be loved. Uh, I think the most it can hope for is to be fear, respected, feared, even better. Uh, when you're the top dog, there's always going to be people that are jealous of you and don't like you and wish they were you but can't be. Uh, Donald Trump puts right. America first, and that upsets Australians. Winston Churchill famously told the Australian Prime Minister, the Australian Prime Minister rang him up during the Second World War, Brian, and said, help me, I need you to protect us from the Japanese. And Winston Churchill essentially said, screw you, I need to look after England first. And that's very similar, I think, what Donald Trump would do gotcha. in that situation. 
Nick Adams, congratulations on the book, Trump and Churchill, Defenders of Western Civilization. Best of luck, Nick. I'm sure the president will see this and you'll get at least a retweet. Good job. It's always, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, Brian. Go get him, Nick Adams. This is Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade Show, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we're coming to you from New York, but heard around the world, around America, on a very impactful time. I'm just looking at this one note from Mayor de Blasio. Uh, he's uh, the really tall mayor who I can't wait to be done with his job. It, America will be a better place in New York City specifically. He came out this week. He just loves telling people what they can't do. It's a nice day outside. Go outside and make sure you go back in. He's everything wrong with pandemic uh, reactions. And then he says, we are not opening up. Okay, fine. You're not going to the beach. As if I have to, I'm going to put a fence on there. And if you're in the water, we will get you out. And then, by the way, I'm calling on Long Island to allow New York City dwellers to go to Long Island beaches. Okay, first off, I think everybody should be going to every beach that they want that they can get into. But, Mr. Mayor, if you don't think New Yorkers are worthy of going to city beaches, why does Long Island have to open up their doors to people that you believe don't deserve to walk on your beach? Why do they walk on Long Island beaches? Why should they not be checking IDs for different town beaches? Because you threw them out of Manhattan. It's not going to be a nice day anyway. But this this is not even logical. And there's no reason, if I could be a little bit selfish, I know the whole country's listening, for Long Island to be shut down. We're within a whisker on available beds and the uh, the uh, seven-figure punch list in order to open, that they just opened for, for the Capital District up in Albany. Open up Nassau and Suffolk. And I'm not saying it for me. Yeah, would I like to go out to a restaurant? Absolutely. Would I like to walk through Dick's Sporting Goods to get my dry cleaning done? Absolutely. But more importantly for the small business, they don't have any more time. The gyms don't have any more time. They, nobody prints money like the government can print money. They're done. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think we've been awoken to the fact that Chinese totalitarianism threatens us here at home. Over the last decade through globalization, all the supply chains moved away. And oh my gosh, we're now we don't have the access to certain drugs that China could deny us. Yeah. These are things that, we, that shouldn't be happening. Uh, yes, that's true. Mark Thiessen talking about China. Belligerence continues and the tensions between our countries ratchets up. We have now found out about nine separate incidents of harassment of our planes and ships in the South China Sea. And Apple, what are you doing? Where's your loyalty? We find out they do what China says, but not what America says. Really? Number two. I wish I knew what was going on with Judge Sullivan. I I can't say that I do, other than he has gone way out into left field. He can't appoint a prosecutor himself. The case is over, and his bias is so egregious, he should be removed from the case. And that is Sidney Powell, Michael Flynn's legal team in action, looking to oust the unhinged judge. And more intel shows exactly what Comey, Rice, and even Obama and Vice President Biden were up to in the final days of their administration. 
Number one. All 50 states, as of today, are partially reopening their economies. And the American people are responding and breathing that uh, free air again. They're doing it responsibly. It's a testament to the resilience uh, of the American people. Uh, True. Mike Pence, big day for you. Success. That's what we're seeing now as 50 states begin different phases of reopening. The biggest win, the first. Georgia took the biggest risk, even when on the wrong side of the president. You can get a tattoo. You can go out to dinner. You could ride a bike anywhere. You can go to the beach if they could find one. You can sit in traffic now that people are allowed to drive. While in other areas, crackdowns continue and the pain of the national shutdown persists. And I think of business every day. I know how hard it is to run a gym and a restaurant uh, specifically, you know, firsthand. You never are off. You're always worried. Uh, Summer happens and people empty out. And then you worry about that and you worry about food prices and you worry about keeping your crowd in. And then someone tells you in March to shut down, and we won't tell you when you're opening up. And the PPP program, when you finally get word, now the time's running out, so is the money. And when it's time to replenish, in comes the politics. And then you're wondering, I'm keeping people on my payroll, and places like New York, you're not opening me up until July? That's not possible. Los Angeles, not until July, August, that's not doable. Meanwhile, on the good news side, we are opening up at a pretty good rate around the country. Reopening in Ohio is starting today. All 50 states, thanks to Connecticut, will reopen. Connecticut begins its process to ease uh, restrictions, and you can actually eat outside there. Beginning May 20th, Connecticut will allow parts of the state to start reopening under the four-stage strategy. I thought they were doing everything as a region. Ohio changing stay-at-home to a stay-at-home advisory. Uh, New York opens another county, but not enough. Now, the big news is for Georgia, uh, their news is staggeringly good because their news is since May 1st, when they began to open up, the number of COVID cases expected to rise, especially in Atlanta, has dropped 17 percent. That is not good. That is great. And if we want to learn about what's going wrong, why don't we also learn about what is going right? Here's Senator Marco Rubio and how Florida turned it around. Cut five. First of all, remember why we did the shutdowns to begin with, and that is because we didn't want the hospitals to be overwhelmed. So part one is the state government under Governor DeSantis and the local governments and our hospitals all took the steps necessary to create new capacity. There were field hospitals open that were never used. They opened up more beds. They canceled elective surgeries. They did all kinds of things so that the hospitals did not get overrun. The governor allowed each county and city to set their own requirements. And that's important because every community has different unique characteristics and different needs. Mm -hmm. And that happened. And number three is the people of Florida complied. People stayed home. I mean, you hear all these stories about people on the beach. Everyone I know has had, had been home and has certainly limited their lives, some at great personal and economic expense. I'm all for, you know, it's World War II time. You got to go over there and you got to serve. You give up your career. You got to go. Then uh, uh, women, children, others here take your jobs. They hold it temporarily. We're rallying together. But to stay at home and watch other people fight, we wait for the virus to disappear when it doesn't. Then we go back to work and nothing changes except for now you're working and you wonder, why did I even take off? Governor Andrew Cuomo, who his policies are under question, his communication skills aren't. He's strong like that. But listen to what he said and tell me if this makes you feel as though you did the right thing in staying home. Cut eight. On the new COVID cases, which surprised me, frankly, the new COVID cases that are coming in the door, about the 300 per day, those are basically infections coming from people who are at home 
and not working, which was shocking to me. They're getting it at home, talking to someone on a park bench, uh, leaving their apartment building. That's where they're getting it. Okay, calm down. How enraging is that? The people that are going to work, for the most part, aren't getting it. Most are surviving with it. Almost all are surviving with it. Unless you have underlying conditions are old, that's still the case. Now they're telling us we, it doesn't really, it's very hard to get from different items like door handles and desks. And now you tell us by staying home, most of the cases are for people staying home. So I'm ruining my life, putting in all types of tension with family, not going anywhere because there's nowhere to go. The parks are shut down, people chasing you off the beach if you try to sit on a towel or jump in a pool. And now they say, well, those are the people getting sick. Drive safe, everyone. Governor Cuomo, by the way, suddenly got a tan. It looks better than ever. I've never seen someone uh, look better as the pandemic goes on. I haven't seen many photos of before and after of 1918, uh, but I want to compare that. Other people are suffering, like hospitals. This is why you got to open up. Cole Rove spelled it out perfectly. While people are treating COVID patients, patients, other people are saying, I'm not going to the hospital. Yeah, this really hurts. The pain's kind of strange. I need some treatment. Broke my hand. Not going to the hospital. And guess what else is happening? People are being furloughed at the hospital because they're not getting any of their cases. Cut 12. Saw a chart today about all of the so-called elective procedures that are not being done. 18% fewer treatments for cancer. We're not just talking about, you know, uh, Botox. We're talking about life-saving treatments. We're talking about colonoscopies and other things that would allow us to avoid disease, destroying lives and destroying families. And we got to get back to our health care system, being able to take those people as well as those suffering from COVID. You wouldn't think about that, right? Uh, also, you know, the cancer treatments, other things, the screenings, people are like, you know, it's just not worth it. I'm not going to go to the hospital. I, you know, I see the ambulances. I see the numbers. I watch television. It's not worth it. Well, when you don't do preventative measures, you pay the uh, uh, do preventative me- measures. You pay the price. I'm going to be talking about China and the threat that is today, and I'm going to be talking about in detail about the case with Matthew Whitaker, the former Attorney General, who's got a new book out. But I just want to say this: sometimes we get caught up in the minutia of this, what Obama, the spying thing, what was happening with the Mueller report and the Ukrainian call, and I feel for people that. Don't listen all the time. It's hard for you to catch up. It's like watching All My Children, if that's still on, and you watch on a Wednesday and go, who are these people? So to make it quick, just know this. Michael Flynn is a three-star general. He had a series of conversations with Ambassador Kislyak. The Russians were trying to play a role in our election. How effective they were is still up for debate as far as I'm concerned. And James Comey started zeroing in along with President Obama, Vice President Biden, uh, Susan Rice, Sally Yates to a degree, it seems. Maybe Loretta Lynch, we don't know. John Brennan, for sure. And James Clapper, for certain. Zeroing in on the Trump team as if they went into bed with Vladimir Putin. And they didn't. And Michael Flynn, details about a conversation with Susan Rice. They were actually keeping intelligence from him. They actually thought he sold out to Russia. Not allowed to do that. The Trump team's been on the defensive ever since. They're on the offensive now. And the rest of the media is choosing to ignore it. We will not. The China threat, Jim Hansen. By the way, not a distraction, China. It's called Where It All Started. Back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. 
Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Yes, and this is one of the reasons why China needs to be forced to pay damages for what they've done. They're the ones who unleashed us on the world. Let's be clear. Beijing knew that they had a major health crisis on their hands in Wuhan, the origin of the virus. They silenced doctors. They gagged whistleblowers. It allowed this thing to spread and to spread to become a pandemic level. So they need to be forced to pay, Beijing does. But Tucker, beyond that, we've got to now build new coalitions of other free nations who are willing right. to partner together and hold China accountable. We cannot be satisfied and content with the status quo. Uh, that is Senator Josh Hawley, who, by the way, now is on going to be a sanction list from China, along with Tom Cotton and others. And that's just fine with me because they might be getting it right back because we know exactly who they are. Through the McGinsky Act, we can target individuals. Joining me now uh, to discuss this and so much more is Jim Hansen, president of the Security Studies Group, served in the U.S. Army Special Forces, uh, who knows all about counter and who America's enemies are. What should, uh, how would you characterize our relationship with China now? and how, how ramped up Republicans seem to be to make them pay for what they've done to this country. I think we need to consider that what has been happening even prior to the COVID virus with their predatory activities worldwide, but especially in light of the, the pandemic they unleashed on us, that we're in a Cold War with China and that they started. And it's time for us to take action that reflects the fact that they have been you know, attacking all of the free world, us in, in particular. And I think President Trump started that with his recognition of their predatory financial and, and currency manipulation, uh, their unfair trade practices. But now I think it's time to get all our friends in line and say, as, as Senator Hawley did, that we are going to band together against the greatest predator on the planet right now, which is the Chinese Communist Party. So there have been, I did not know this until yesterday, nine separate incidents of harassment from spy planes to ships in the South China Sea as the Teddy Roosevelt left us vulnerable because it got infected by this coronavirus. Uh, we also had to give a warning to, uh, to Iran on that. You get to a certain, uh, certain amount of distance, we're going to blow you up. Uh, why are we putting up with this harassment? You know, it's a it's a fine line that we run as far as you know playing the games. We used to do it with the Soviets. They would fly spy planes close to us. They would do overflights. We do the same. I think there's a there's a reluctance to get into a shooting war. You know, where we actually, especially with China, are are going head to head with them militarily. But I think there is a tremendous amount of U.S. power diplomatic, economic, financial, cultural, that we can bring to bear against them. And I think they're vulnerable right now because the world knows what they did. So I think the ability to use all of those other means and to, there's always the implied threat of force. You know, they, they know that and they know it would not go well for them. But we don't want that. That is the least effective way. So keep that as the biggest stick and let's use the smaller sticks to beat them into you know, a more amenable position and take advantage of, of the fact that we can do that right now. Are we doing it with the, the, the diplomatic way, the State Department way? Are we uh, taking Australia, who is determined 
to have an investigation of what happened. Russia, my goodness, Russia and Turkey are demanding transparency about that Wuhan lab or the Wuhan wet market. How do we make the most of this moment diplomatically, Mr. Hansen? Absolutely, by going directly to anyone who was hurt. And that's the advantage we have is, is they hurt everyone. They hurt the entire planet by covering this up and, and doing all the things Senator Hawley said. So what we do now is we look to get investigations. We look to uh, ask for reparations and we look to change the balance of power. They had been expanding their, their global influence through predatory you know, acquisition of natural resources, through giving loans to tyrants that basically bankrupted a lot of small countries in Africa. And we need to go to all these people and say, we recognize the threat China is and has been, and we will offer an alternative. We will offer a free world, free trade uh, coalition to oppose what China's been doing. And I think we'll get a lot of people signing on to that. Apple kowtows to China when they say, take this app down uh, that allows the Hong Kong protesters to communicate, uh, block certain types of uh, uh, information from its people. Apple does it. When the FBI asks, to decode, to open up a phone that could be an Al-Qaeda terrorist phone, and it was one, they say no. How long do we put up with these standards? If you're in the government right now, and you're as angry as Chris Ray, the FBI director, and AG is, what do you do? I think we look at whether or not we should impose some kind of sanctions or some kind of penalty for any U.S. company that is enabling the Chinese police state. You know, Google helped them develop a, a search engine that was going to censor information, basically change reality in the information space for the Chinese people until that was found out. So they're, they're not the, Apple's not the only one. And we should state that any company that helps the Chinese to put that digital boot on the neck of their people uh, is going to face punishment here in the U.S. and, and basically stop that and disentangle them uh, from helping the Chinese. I, I find it uh, abhorrent. Uh, the president says, I'm on the fence about what the next step is, even going for the next phase with this deal. What would you do if you're the president, knowing you know, that there's time to fight and there's time to and there's time for there's time for the economy and there's time for military? We can't disentangle from China economically right now. We, we have for too long uh, enjoyed the fruits of, of cheap Chinese labor, Chinese prison labor and all of the things that, that they've done. And they've been good at you know, at, at stealing our intellectual property and becoming manufacturers of things we need. But we need to start the process. So the president right now can look at putting long-term incentives in play to get us out of China, to get manufacturing out of China, to bring it back to the United States or to India or someplace more friendly. Gotcha. Jim Hansen, thanks so much. Got to take some action. I want to go inside the Flynn case with the guy that was there living it, Matthew Whitaker. He's got a great book out. We'll discuss it all. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. General Flynn was treated horribly. General Flynn was treated illegally. These people, they broke the law. They broke the law. What they've done to General Flynn 
should never happen. What they've done to the presidency and what they've done to this country can never be allowed to happen again to our country. That's the President of the United States taking many questions yesterday, one of which was the revelation uh, that was discovered with the release of Susan Rice's email uh, on a meeting they had on January 5th. Their email was done on January 20th. What I did not know, it was released, as Marco Rubio told me today, uh, after 12, which means she was no longer in office. That is why uh, Rick Grinnell was able to dig it out as acting director of national intelligence, because it was theirs. So she filed that as if to say, someday this will come up. And I want it on record that I did everything by the book. Joining me now is uh, Matt Whitaker. Matt uh, has a great new book out. Um, it's called Above the Law, the inside story of how the Justice Department tried to subvert President Trump. And Matt, so much news is coming out here. I could see you have a lot to add for your paperback. He's the former acting U.S. Attorney General. Matt, welcome back. I am so glad to be on your show, Brian, and I think I'm going to have to write a second book based on all the revelations that we're hearing just in the last couple of weeks. So we saw this email before. First off, just to give people an idea, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but why would someone on January 20th write up a meet, like memorialize a meeting that happened on January 5th? Why would someone do that? Yeah, well, I think the the key, like you said, is the term by the book appears three times in that email, which to me, um, if you write an email like that, which is a complete cover your backside email, that suggests to me they weren't doing things by the book. Uh, that, 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 and in fact, we know she wrote that on the 20th. We know on the 24th that Jim Comey, who was in that same meeting on January 5th, sent two FBI agents uh, over to the White House inconsistent with past practice and ended up, you know, getting General Flynn in a, in a perjury trap. And so, you know, to me, um, from what I can see and what I know about this case, uh, this evidence that has been newly released and really wasn't available until this time paints a very clear picture that that all of this behavior was above the law. And it's really one of the reasons that I wrote the book. Exactly. Uh, one of the things that was unredacted, he said top secret until yesterday was this part. Director Comey affirmed that he is proceeding by the book as it relates to law enforcement. From a national security perspective, Comey said he does have some concerns that incoming NSA Flynn is speaking frequently with the Russian ambassador Kislyak. Comey said that it could be an issue as it relates to sharing sensitive information. President Obama asked if Comey was saying that the NSA, the NSC should not pass sensitive information related to Russia to Flynn. Comey replied, potentially. Why is that top secret? I don't know. You know, so I think it has something to do. And one of the biggest questions, as you know, Brian, has been the, how there was no unmasking request after the particular call between um, Flynn and the Russian ambassador on the 29th of December of 2016. And so, you know, there is a question is on that meeting in the 5th, how did they have all the knowledge and all the transcript of the conversation between the Russian ambassador and Flynn? And then, you know, we all also know that on the 3rd of January, Andy McCabe, another one of the bad actors that's on the cover of my book, um, had a conversation with the head of the National Security Division at DOJ, Mary McCourt, about this exact phone call. So there was no unmasking. He was he was never masked in the first place. And I think that, you know, again, I think there is some, there is something here that smells really bad. And I think as we learn more facts and we finally get to hear what these people were doing when they're under oath in front of the Senate, 
in Lindsey Graham, I think it's not it, the American people are going to think not only was this a uh, terrible, sad chapter in our nation's history, but the, some of these people are sick and may have violated the law. And do you think they began to panic when they realized Hillary Clinton was going to be president and this would be exposed? Is this part of that exposure? And again, we're guessing you have all these years of experience and you were inside. You were on the other side of the wire. I wasn't. But is that what you do when you fear that you're about to be found out? All of a sudden, on 12 o'clock January 20th, typing up an email of your recollection of a consequential meeting that included the president, the vice president, James Comey, Sally Yates, and the subject was Michael Flynn. Is that what you do if you're panicked almost? Yeah, it seems like either she was panicked because of the result of the election, although the election had been in November, so she had plenty of time to, you know, consider how history would review this or she was trying to cover her tracks and you know i think about that january 5th meeting and you remember when joe biden was on good morning america the other day i think it was last week you know he said well i I didn't know about uh, the investigation but then oh i was there when they ordered the investigation so i mean they're they're clearly the 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 highest levels of the white house and the department of justice were all in sync that they were going to somehow revive this um, national security investigation that was going to be closed the, the day before this meeting. And not only did they revive it, they used it to target General Flynn and then used it as a basis ultimately became the Mueller investigation and the unpredicated uh, criminal investigation into the president of the United States, which is what I talk about in my new book. Right. Uh, And the name of the book is Above the Law, the Inside Story of How the Justice Department Tried to Subvert President Trump. Your timing could not be better. You would think with the pandemic, why are we going to be talking about this? We're talking about this because it finally came to fruition, all this stuff, because Rick Grinnell took over at DNI and he's just doing what he should have done a long time ago, which should have been done under uh, Coates a long time ago. But I guess he was in doubt that this was actually something. So we just described Susan Rice's actions in 2017 in her last hours on duty. She was asked in April of the same year on PBS about this allegation. It seems that Devin Nunes knew all about this. And that's what Judy Woodruff brought up to Susan Rice. Listen to this. Cut 22. During the final days of the Obama administration, during the transition after uh, uh, President Trump uh, had been elected, that he and the people around him may have been caught up in surveillance of foreign individuals and that their identities may have been disclosed. Do you know anything about this? I know nothing about this. I really don't know to what uh, Chairman Nunes was referring. Now, that is a blatant lie, Matt. That is a, a lie. And she almost laughs it off like, what are you talking about? That's, a, that's only three months prior. She knows exactly what she's talking about. No, she does. And, you know, Devin Nunes actually wrote them forward to my book. And, you know, he has been a warrior on all of these uh, issues. You know, he, if you remember when he wrote his memo um, after, you know, all of these interviews had taken place in the House Intelligence Committee, you know, the, the, the mainstream media lambasted him, you know, and, and tried to suggest that he was, you know, among other things, crazy in his beliefs. But at the same time, you know, he could see clear as day what they had done in this. And really, you know, it was the counterintelligence investigation was being closed and it suddenly sprung back to life like a zombie and became the Mueller investigation. And and they knew there was never any evidence of collusion. There never was at that time when she wrote that memo, when they had the meeting, 
or anything, but ultimately that investigation uh, became an obstruction of justice trap for people like uh, the President of the United States, myself, and anyone that, you know, was trying to rein in or, uh, you know, have the Mueller investigation conclude and end the national nightmare. So, you know, when we talk about by-the-book investigations, this is where, uh, you know, Bill Barr, myself, we conducted the by-the-book investigations, and now there's finally all of these facts are being revealed as to how corrupt this whole um, conspiracy was with people like Susan Rice and Jim Comey, Andy McCabe, and others. So, Matt, you were chief of staff to uh, to AG Sessions, right? Yes. So Sessions uh, gets shown the door after the election. You take over. When did you realize, when did, how much did you know about the Mueller, Mueller investigation? What did you do right after to update yourself with the access that Rod Rosenstein had that Sessions exonerated himself, pushed himself away from because he says he was conflicted, which is a huge mistake. So you get the job. You go over to, how do you interact with the Mueller people? Well, so what happened was because Sessions had been recused himself, his entire staff, including me, were recused. And so when I took over the Department of Justice and therefore was now unrecused uh, and first got read into the Mueller investigation, uh, I was told immediately that there was no evidence of collusion, that uh, this theory of attempted obstruction of justice was not legally valid and, and, and would, ne- would not be pursued, that they were writing a report, uh, that they were planning on charging Roger Stone with what we've seen happened to him and that the investigation was over and that there was no there was no real follow-up and i so i for the time that i was acting attorney general i was expecting uh the report to be delivered to me uh and it just continued to drag on to drag on to drag on and you know i talk about this chapter in my book a lot i made sure when i took over the department of justice that i didn't let the Mueller investigation become the only thing that i worked on so i brought in some key people including the U.S. attorney in the Eastern District of California, to be my point person to not only interact with the Mueller team and the deputy attorney general's team, but to also to try to, again, to try to land the plane as quickly as possible, consistent with the law and the you know, regular order at the Department of Justice. So, Matt, what was your thought, if you could bring me back to your mindset then? All we had was some reports about testimony behind closed doors. They were told not to sit, really talk about what they were being asked. I heard Steve, I remember Steve Bannon saying, man, they are relentless. And when you got behind closed doors, they were going for stuff. And I didn't know what the report was going to say. I mean, Trump would come out and say, there's nothing there. I don't get it. But there'll be meetings with Don Jr. and this woman and uh, Veliskaya. And you think to yourself, well, I wonder what's going, what they're going to find here, especially if they want to find you guilty. When you sat down, what were your thoughts as they explained to you what they had and they didn't have? Were you, at that moment, do you remember being flabbergasted that this was going on so long? So yeah. it's, for, Bring me through I that. was absolutely, I, I thought it was a complete and utter waste of time. As, as soon as I was read into the investigation, I, you know, I, I went back to being a private citizen and listening, you know, in 2017, before I came to the Department of Justice, and listening to all these Obama officials go on TV and talk about how they had evidence. And, and you know, remember Adam Schiff was talking about how they had evidence. And this is one of the key things that I talk about in this new book is just how for two plus years, for 30 plus million dollars, 
they, you know, pursued doggedly the president and anybody surrounding him. And ultimately, um, it was unnecessary. Um, you know, Page and Strzok in their text messages said, you know, there was no there there on the Russian collusion, you know, fable, if you will. And so, you know, I just think, you know, I, I was I, I really I remember being almost sick to my stomach when I when I learned that we had just gone through this two plus years. And I and I really I, I knew that we had to get this report done. It would say that there was no evidence of collusion. And I fully expected at the time that there was never going to be part two about the attempted obstruction of justice because I was told in my face that that wasn't a, even a valid legal theory. And so, you know, from what I can tell, Brian, it, it, it's a it's a sad chapter of American history. It's a sad chapter at the Department of Justice, and it was executed by just a few sick people. Uh, several of them are on the cover of the book, uh, McCabe, Comey, and Strzok. Did Robert Mueller know what was going on? He looked totally disheveled and out of touch when we saw him. We looked at his great record in Vietnam. We saw he served for two presidents. He was very respected by uh, George Bush and Barack Obama. Do you think that he was a figurehead? Was he the queen, the king of England in this? Yeah, as, as I look back uh, on on the investigation and his testimony, and this is one of, you know one of the things I talk about in this book is how that hearing where Bob Mueller sat down and tried to, you know, essentially defend and explain his report, he, he wasn't up to it. And it's, it's sad because he did have a distinguished career of public service, but there is no doubt that people on his team, maybe Zebley, maybe, um, you know, other individuals were really the puppet masters, uh, ultimately, in how the investigation pursued. And, you know, there's some, there's some folks that I talk about in the book that were on that team that had, uh, you know, like Weissman, that had a, a long uh, history of sort of um, bending the rules and not following traditional DOJ procedures and getting overturned by the courts. Well, the book is now out. It's interesting. It's a facet that no one else can replicate because you were actually on the inside. Now you're on the outside and you're able to put it in perspective as the Mueller report is out for everyone. Last question. When do you think if sincere people investigating this knew there was no there there. Sincere people, not agenda-driven people. I, I really believe um, that what happened was is that there, there was no evidence that the, uh, the, the, all of the steam out of the investigation had run out. And, and Andy McCabe, upon the firing of Jim Comey, decided to make the President of the United States a target of an investigation without predication. And he single-handedly breathe life not only into a dying investigation that should have been closed before the administration even took over in 2017, but also caused this, you know, ongoing nightmare that we all experienced. Uh, and again, we need not, not only it shouldn't have happened, and we need to make sure it never happens to another president, another candidate for president, or another American citizen. Yeah. Matt Whitaker, it's all in your book, Above the Law. Matt, thanks so much. Brian, pleasure. Thank you. You got it. Back in a moment with your calls. 1-866-408-7669. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
Hey, welcome back, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 I appreciate everyone being here. Matt Whitaker's got a real interesting book. If you like this story and you want to get answers, he's got a, a view. He had a view of it that no one else had. Remember, Sessions recused himself, uh, and Rod Rosenstein's not talking. Bill, listening on WABC in Brooklyn. Hey, Bill. Good morning. Uh, China doesn't care about uh, people. They don't care about their own people. They don't care about world opinion. The only thing they care about really is money and power. So I think we have to get them where it hurts the most, in the pocket. we got to stop importing stuff from them. Let's deal with India. There's a whole vast world of labor there we can go to. They are not our enemy. They're almost a democracy. When are we going to wake up, Brian? Uh, I hear you. I think it's a great move, and I think America's behind it. I'd like to hear Democrats saying what they've always said in the past, and that China's the problem. Uh, and we knew that. In fact, the, even Senator Schumer came out and said, I kind of like President being tough on China. Joe, listen on WRCN on Long Island. Joe. Brian, how are you? Uh, everybody healthy? Yep. Brian? What about you, Today, Joe? Okay. What's on your mind? Yeah, listen, Biden had the COVID swab test. Did you hear? They shoved the swab up his nose and the Q-tip came out his ear. The doctor said there was no brain in there. Listen. Uh, the man's deteriorating in front of the whole world. Uh, you know, he's protecting Obama's deeds. It's even more more disturbing than what Ta- uh, Tara Reid is Biden touching the little kids, Brian. I mean, it's so creepy and cringy. How can a Democrat nominate this guy? I don't I don't see it happening. It's a, just look what he, he didn't earn it. He didn't earn it. They were scared about Bernie Sanders. So they said, what the hell? We'll cover for him. And the pandemic is actually helping him hide but when he does show himself, he's such an embarrassment. That's why the president should not fight Obama as much as he should keep bringing up Biden. So people don't get confused and think Obama's going to be calling the shots. They're not. Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Order Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. I'll personalize it for you for the holidays. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening, guys. It's going to be a big hour. Molly Hemingway uh, as conversant and as tapped in as anybody in Washington. And then we're going to go local because it's really a national story. Uh, Louise Romano Wise will be here. She's part of the Nautical Mile. If you ever get to Long Island in the area, you know, we have not been able to open up. We're not even in stage one. We can't even, we can order out, but we can't go eat outside even. Uh, because we're not hitting all the criteria that Governor Cuomo came up with, which is ridiculous because within shouting distance of all of it, 13 deaths yesterday. You don't shut down a whole county for 13 deaths. Tragic, yes, but not showing an epidemic that you shut down a county for. Suffolk is the same thing. These people who are trying to make a living with paying huge rents and even with the PPP program cannot stand up and keep their small business going. She is desperate to get it started. She's going to be joining us talking about the Waterside Grill because it represents so many people I talked to, even today on Fox & Friends. I talked to a New Hampshire restaurant owner. I talked to a New York restaurant owner. And I talked to a Washington restaurant owner. 
uh, excuse me, not a restaurant owner, who makes fabric and they switch to masks just to be able to stay in business and they still can't stay in business. These people who are politicians and scientists have no idea what it takes to run an economy and that's what's killing us. I'll talk about all that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think we've been awoken to the fact that Chinese totalitarianism threatens us here at home. Over the last decade through globalization, all the supply chains moved away. And oh my gosh, we're now we don't have access to certain drugs that China could deny us. Yeah. These are things that, would, that shouldn't be happening. Uh, they shouldn't be, but they are happening. Mark Teese in China. Belligerence continues and the tension between our countries ratcheted up as they have more and more control of e-commerce, our commerce, and they're challenging us militarily. And by the way, Apple, they make them in China, an American company. Their loyalty to China, I'll tell you. Number two. I wish I knew what was going on with Judge Sullivan. I, I can't say that I do, other than he has gone way out into left field. He can't appoint a prosecutor himself. The case is over, and his bias is so egregious, he should be removed from the case. He should. Michael Flynn's legal team in action, looking to oust unhinged judge who clearly thinks he sold out the country. And more intel shows exactly what Comey, Rice, Biden, and Obama are up to in the final days of their administration and what was in the email written on January 20th by Susan Rice. Number one. All 50 states, as of today, are partially reopening their economies. And the American people are responding and breathing that uh, free air again. They're doing it responsibly. It's a testament to the resilience uh, of the American people. Uh, in some cases, in some counties, they got to sue to reopen. Uh, that is Mike Pence. Success. All 50 states open to some degree. The biggest win of first, Georgia. While in other areas, crackdowns continue and the pain of the national shutdown persists. Uh, it's huge pain. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like just walking into an empty restaurant, having everybody asking you when they can go out and eat there. You made the provisions to make it safe there, and you're not allowed to make a living. To me, uh, not okay. And especially now. We're two and a half months in. The eight weeks are up on the PPP. Next week, uh, we have uh, the last week in, in May. And then what? Then you play political games in order to increase the money because Democrats won't give you an inch. So a lot of people are looking what's going on with our economy and are unhappy. Other people say Connecticut, there's hope. They open up phase one. You can eat outdoors. We also know in Ohio, they say no longer is a shelter at home a mandatory. It is now an advisory. Okay. I'll accept that. But to open up the state, time matters. To open up the country, time matters. Uh, We'll talk about Michael Flynn and Molly Hemingway. But right now I want to talk about uh, the country. Also, the fact is, since May 1st, when Georgia was along with Colorado, the first major state, the first big state to open, they were widely criticized. Do you know since May 1st, the amount of cases has dropped? Has dropped 17%. Marco Rubio, on what Florida has done, cut six. Now the question becomes, until we have a vaccine, and we hope that sooner rather than later, how do we reopen the economy and get back to a new normal, or get to a new normal while mitigating the risk? This is what we're dealing with now, is we're trying to lower the risk. But ultimately, we could not be under the conditions we were in indefinitely. And there are people pretending we can be like this forever. We can't be like this forever. Yeah, we can't be like this forever, especially when sheltering in place is not working. It's not working. It's effective. People are at each other's throats, the tightest family. You have nothing else to do. 
Most parks are closed. They give you a hard time on the beaches. You're allowed to walk. You can't stop. And then listen to this. For those sheltering at home thinking they're doing the right thing, Andrew Cuomo, kind of honest here, cut eight. On the new COVID cases, which surprised me, frankly, the new COVID cases that are coming in the door, about the 300 per day, those are basically infections coming from people who are at home and not working, which was shocking to me. They're getting it at home, talking to someone on a park bench, uh, leaving their apartment building. That's where they're getting it. You believe this? Well, people are leaving home. You see the traffic is coming back. Oil prices going up. There's way too low right now. I don't want millions of people to lose jobs and livelihoods so I could pay $1.81 for gas. Uh, that, we don't need 1969 prices, especially when uh, we are the uh, number one oil and gas producer, exporter in the world. So that's what uh, Andrew Cuomo's saying. Everything that we're doing, showing the discipline, those signs on the side of the road that say stay home, we're getting sick. Also, the hospitals, not only are they not overwhelmed, they're going belly up because they're empty, because you don't want to go there when you should, and you're told elective surgeries are on hold. Cut 12. Saw a chart today about all of the so-called elective procedures that are not being done. 18% fewer treatments for cancer. We're not just talking about, you know, uh, Botox. We're talking about life-saving treatments. We're talking about colonoscopies and other things that would allow us to avoid disease, destroying lives and destroying families. And we got to get back to our health care system, being able to take those people as well as those suffering from COVID. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you want to point out when outbreaks happen like Westchester County or they spread through Manhattan? Sure. Can you also point out the good stories? I was wrong about this. Uh, hospitalizations in Georgia down 34% since May 1st. The Georgia governor tweeted this out. Today marks the lowest number of COVID-19 positive cases, hospitalizations in Georgia at 986. That's down 34% since May 1st. These numbers are encouraging, but we, but, but we must remain vigilant. Now think about all the people that were critical of him. Now think about all the people that were critical in Colorado. Think about how slow, you know, this clown, this mayor in Los Angeles actually said, we're not going to have sports. Backtracked on that. Then he said, we're not opening everything up until August. The damage is severe. In New Jersey, nothing's opening up. Gyms open up. So one gym does open up. They came back for a second day. And these poor state troopers have to hand out tickets. One guy didn't want to give his name. So he was brought to jail. The damage is spreading. Minority business owners, by the way, say they are struggling to stay afloat. of black and Latino small business owners anticipate closing within six months. That according to a poll called Global Strategy Group. It's a nonprofit group. It's an advocacy group for Color of Change, uh, named Color of Change. The survey of more than 500 minority businesses, black workers and Latino workers, found 51% of black and Latino small business owners applied for less than $20,000 in federal uh, relief each. But just 12% say they receive the full amount. That's inexcusable, especially Senator, uh, Secretary Mnuchin, when you still have $500 billion left. Number one, for those Democrats who think we got to take our time, these minorities, the community that you call your own, because you feel as you're looking out for them, they're saying you're not. You're sheltering at home. The Democratic governor of New York says that's not helping according to the stats that he has. What are we doing here? Molly Hemingway will make sense of that. I'll ask her a few of those questions. 
then take your calls at 34 after. And then I want to bring in a real business story. Uh, a woman whose family's owned this restaurant, this legendary place called Nautical Mile on Long Island. And they're just watching as her and a fellow restaurateurs. Normally this place is bustling in the spring and summer with traffic as the ships come in and they put the, the, the fish, the caught fish right to the restaurants. They're not allowed. You don't, you don't make, you cannot make a living on takeout. Doesn't keep restaurants afloat. And it's hard to keep them employed. When we come back, Molly Hemingway brings us inside the shutdown and why it's a Democrat-Republican thing, as Dan Crenshaw wrote about. And then uh, we'll talk to the restaurateur. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Don't leave. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's also pulled the curtain back on another heart truth. Something that we all have to eventually accept once our childhood comes to an end. You know, all those adults that you used to think were in charge and knew what they were doing? Turns out they don't have all the answers. A lot of them aren't even asking the right questions. Yeah, and he goes on to, right after that, we'll probably try to find it. Uh, critical, critical of uh, President Trump. You have a sitting president and you have a former president. The former president goes out of his way to commencement address to break format and mock what he says the pandemic, the lack of a pandemic, competent pandemic response from President Trump. That breaks a tradition that George W. Bush had no problem keeping, even though Barack Obama constantly mocked him and his administration prior to that. I don't remember Bill Clinton uh, going after Bush. In fact, I hear they're good, pretty good friends now and I've seen it. Uh, things have certainly changed. Molly Hemingway joined us, wrote about that. She's a senior editor for The Federalist, uh, Fox News contributor, of course, and co-author of Justice on Trial, Kavanaugh, The Confirmation, The Future of the Supreme Court. Molly, what happened to that President's Club? Well, this is a norm that we've had for a really long time, this idea that presidents should not uh, undermine their successors or, uh, or attack each other. It hasn't really been kept to as perfectly as some people think. I mean, there are plenty of examples of people privately or publicly disparaging their successors. What is interesting about this situation is Mitch McConnell mildly criticized Barack Obama for his attack on Trump. And Mitch McConnell is very consistent in caring about this norm. And he was absolutely attacked by people, including one person accusing him of racism for upholding this norm, which obviously is not a racist norm. It's a norm for every every president that some, you know, some people care about it. A lot of people care about it. Uh, but it's just ridiculous that Mitch McConnell would be called a horrific racist for caring about a norm that many people in the media used to care about themselves. Of course, with President Obama, he's done far more than verbally go after Trump. I think what's more interesting is that he's becoming more public as we learn more about how he went after him and undermined the peaceful transfer of government from his administration to the Trump administration. And I think that's why he's and that's getting what, a little yeah. bit chattier. <laughs> uh, and I think so. Look, uh, if you watch Joe Biden, Molly, and you have, he's incapable of running against Trump. He can't get through a speech. 
He can't get through a podcast. So, I mean, he's been so awful. Uh, he even admitted that, you know, I get tired and sometimes I lose my words. So if there was, uh, in fact, let's listen. People will say occasionally, Pickton, I'm tired. I'm going to go, I'll say, um, uh, uh, and I'll find myself searching for a second. Look, the mistakes I make are mistakes. I don't even know what that means, uh, but that's what he was saying, that, you know, I lose my words, I get tired, so I go take a break. That's not the, yeah. that's not the energetic campaign that wins a presidency. Right. I mean, he's definitely struggling during this coronavirus pandemic to figure out how to communicate with people. You know, you can't have any rallies. You can't do much. And he doesn't do particularly well with these types of um, online question and answer sessions. What I find extremely frustrating is it is clear that Biden is having some struggles with his with his words. And that is, you know, that's fine. What I don't like is you're hearing a lot of people in the media say that you're not allowed to notice it because he used to be a stutterer. And it is true that as a child, he was a stutterer. He had like a very long career in public life where that was never an issue. And now all of a sudden in the 2020 race, it's an issue. And you have journalists saying you're not allowed to even notice that he's having difficulty grabbing words because he used to be a stutterer. That seems a little bit unfair to people who are just noticing this isn't the same guy who we saw even two or four years ago. Something is going on here. And I'm not, you know, I'm not judging him. This is something we'll all face. We all have this to look forward to. Um, We all know people who who go through these types of things. It's not, it doesn't make him a bad person or anything like that, but it is something that people are noticing and it's like, they're not being allowed to notice it and we're not talking about it. Whereas, you know, I think that people see that if you are a Republican candidate of some kind and you have a verbal slip, it becomes major news for days on end, but that's not what we're seeing with Joe Biden. We're not. And I just don't know how much longer people can cover for him. And I think President Trump might be playing to their strength when he goes after Obama, not Biden. And uh, Obama's more than happy to fight with the president as long as it keeps Biden out of the fray because he left to his own devices. I mean, he lost the primary. They just didn't want Bernie Sanders. So they gave it to him. So he didn't earn this victory. No, it really is. It's still worth reflecting on what an amazing turnabout that was for him. But he had very little to do with it. It was just that it came down to Biden or Sanders and a lot of powers that be got everybody else out of the way to push Biden over the finish line because they knew they needed it to be just someone. And he was the strongest of the remaining candidates. They got all the strong contenders to endorse him. They got people to give him the huge margins of victories that he needed. You know, it was a very impressive feat by the establishment. And I don't think they've gotten enough credit for it. They they really did see that, that Bernie Sanders might be difficult. It's just that I don't know if they thought through how difficult it would be for Biden. Who knows? It's a long ball game. You know, the polls have him up, way up over Trump, even if the betting markets show that people don't actually believe that Biden will win and anything could happen before November. But I do think that some of what you have seen um like in some of the way people are talking about these races is a reflection of how scared they are that Biden is at the top of the ticket. This is not who you want to be running against someone that you view as a very big threat, Donald Trump. And he, you know, he he's doing his best. It is a very difficult circumstance, given that he can't go out on the road or whatnot. But he was also, I don't know, I think you saw him on the road a bit. I certainly did. He wasn't doing particularly well on the road either. 
he loses himself in his own sentence. It's not, he's not having a bad week. Uh, he's having a bad year. But, Molly, I want to just go forward on this Flynn stuff and the declassifying, declassifying that memo that Susan Rice wrote. Um, I'm pretty amazed at uh, what every, what's going on here and how everyone else is forgetting about the fact that Susan Rice has got this little problem with the truth. She has memorialized that January 5th meeting. What changes now on this investigation? Anything? Well, I think it's just so interesting how for many years we had one storyline and every little piece of information that we got that was leaked out there made us, we were supposed to believe that there was treasonous collusion with Russia to steal the 2016 election. Well, that imploded fantastically a year ago. And now everything we've heard since then, whether it's congressional investigations, inspector general investigations, uh, things coming out of the Department of Justice, it's all pointing to this other thing, which is we had people within our government and within the Obama administration who worked together to go after the Trump campaign and then the Trump transition and then the Trump administration. That's a huge, huge scandal. Molly Hemingway, always the best. Thanks so much. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Calls now. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I wish I knew what was going on with Judge Sullivan. I I can't say that I do, other than he has gone way out into left field by himself, as we say in our mandamus petition, on this notion that he can appoint an amicus for himself and solicit other amicus briefs and not rule on our motion, on the government's motion to dismiss, which we consented to. The law is clear. There's a new Supreme Court decision unanimously decided just within the last two weeks that makes it clear he cannot invite the amicus briefs that he has. He doesn't have that authority as a district court judge. And then there are Supreme Court and D.C. Circuit cases that make clear he must grant the motion to dismiss. That is a long explanation from Sidney Powell, the attorney for Michael Flynn. Uh, the, uh, the Department of Justice decided Michael Flynn should not be prosecuted. He was interviewed for on the wrong premise. The stuff he said was not a crime that he uh, pled to. So he should be out, right? He's not. This, this uh, judge stepped up and said, no, I'm going to wait. I actually think you lied. So I'm going to have a retired judge who just wrote an editorial that's anti-Trump. Have him decide whether you can continue or not. That is totally unacceptable. And that was Sidney Powell saying we're signing a brief that says he should be removed. Why else should he be removed? Well, he basically said, when told, when these FBI agents do an interview, they're supposed to write a summary. To me, you record the interview. But they don't. They write a summary after. It's called the 302. They added up. Somebody else wrote it up. The other guy there besides uh, Peter Strzok. Well, Peter Strzok decided to edit it heavily. How do I know that? Because he was texting back and forth with Lisa Page. And Lisa Page was helping him, even though she was not even there. They lost that 302. When the judge was told they lost that 302, he says, well, that happens. That happens. You basically said you sold out your country. 
Violator apologized for that and now wants to fight back against this. He deserves his freedom. This attorney is out of control. This judge is out of control. They need to remove this guy. More from Sidney Powell, Cut 28. The law is clear. There's a new Supreme Court decision unanimously decided just within the last two weeks that makes it clear he cannot invite the amicus briefs that he has. He doesn't have that authority as a district court judge. And then there are Supreme Court and D.C. Circuit cases that make clear he must grant the motion to dismiss that the government made. It's a case and controversy issue under the Constitution, a separation of powers issue under the Constitution. And the law is clear. He doesn't have authority to grant it. He can't appoint a prosecutor himself. The case is over and his bias is so egregious he should be removed from the case. Absolutely, at the very least. Uh, let's go out to the phones, one 408 where we find Nathan listed on WLNI over in Lynchburg, Virginia. Hey, Nathan. Hey, Brian. How's it going? Good. That's good. Hey. Um, Are you going to speak? What? Yeah. Yeah. The, the Democrats, do they have a political strategist? Because he must be a complete imbecile with what's going on in states like Pennsylvania, New York, Virginia with these Democrat governors who are committing political suicide. They're actually attacking the people who supposedly elected them. Are are they stupid? Do they not know that this is going to be a landslide for Donald Trump when Donald Trump hands over the keys to the states, to the governors? And what an amazing strategy that is. I agree with you. But, you know, the stats say you and I are wrong. They say 71% of Democrats say they're afraid we're opening up too quick. 51% of Republicans say we're opening up too quick. I don't know any of these people, especially after the last couple of weeks. People have had had it. And you saw the stat I showed you they, uh, in New York. They say the people that were home were the ones getting sick. So what they're doing in Michigan, what they're doing in Pennsylvania, I think in Massachusetts, would, I, would anybody putting those type of restrictions on me in my life for two months, they'd be done. But the stats, which I don't think are accurate, but I'm just telling you the stats, say you and I are wrong. Peter, listening in Tempe, Arizona on uh, 1100 AM. Peter. Well, I think we're headed into a very challenging time here in that some locals in some states are suing their local governments to get their rights back. Uh, And I think this is an incredibly slippery slope that constitutional rights are being infringed upon by local tyrants and they have to sue to get them back and what the worst part of this is it brings into the courts our constitutional rights able to be litigated locally and that i think is a very dangerous place for america to go i hear you uh, thanks so much. But you're going to have to sue. I wish it wasn't going to be the case. They're going to say as far as safety, we could decide on our own safety. We've been educated enough. Uh, I got to uh, also say, uh, coming up next is a true personal uh, story, uh, but it represents so many small businesses, especially the restaurant industry. Hospitality has been hurt arguably than, worse than anybody thought uh, possible. And you look at hotels, you look at travel, and you look at restaurants. We're going to be dealing with uh, someone from the nautical mile here on Long Island, pays a ton of money in rent has a long family history, but can't actually work. Let's find out if there is more to know. More to know. So Nassau County, we're at right now, opens up tennis courts with brand new rules. They're worried about the disease spreading through the use of the tennis ball. 
Here is Nassau County Executive Laura Curran. Get herself, well, every, in trouble. Every player, unless they're from the same, same household, has to bring their own tennis balls so that you don't touch other people's tennis balls um, with your hands. You can kick their balls, but you can't touch them. <laughs> I'm going to blush. Sorry. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's, she's been doing this too long. Please open up the state and, and, again, do not pick up other people's balls. Next. L.A. clothing brand is putting Fauci and Cuomo and Newsom names on underwear. The designer uh, behind in L.A. get it. L.A.-based clothing retailers are celebrating some of the people who impressed them during the coronavirus. I wonder if Trump will have one. Don't think so. Dr. Fauci, meanwhile, has already inspired donuts at multiple donut shops, and he also has a bobblehead. Uh, we live in unlikely times, he says. Uh, Anthony Fauci, congratulations. Cuomo, um, he's anything but brief. And Gavin Newsom, congratulations, guys. Uh, wear him at your own risk. Next, try to figure this story out. Nearly 200 people were arrested and two were shot as they go topless at, uh, during topless during go topless Jeep weekend in Texas. You had a, a raucous Texas beach event known as Go Topless Jeep Weekend. Well, it ended with two people hospitalized and one person shot and others arrested. By the time the gathering ended, more than 180 attendees have been taken into custody on numerous unrelated charges. The quote was, I don't know why it's so hard for people just to show up and have fun these days. Next, a salute to Liberty University. Jerry Falwell Jr. describes how Liberty University became the model for colleges to open up their schools. They never close. Falwell said the school focused on online classes in the final weeks of the semester while keeping regulars on campus for approximately 1,200 students who returned to return to the dorms. Falwell says he disagreed with plans by other academic institutions to cancel on-campus instruction. Quote, I think colleges have an obligation to do whatever they can to continue the student education. We do it in a safe manner. We'll really become the model. So far, so great. Jerry Falwell leading the charge. Next. There's this thing called a portrait ceremony that happens at the White House during, after you leave the White House the next year or two, they'll call you up and say, we got a portrait, we want to unveil it, one president to the other. President Obama says, I will not show up at the Trump White House for my portrait. No way. Trump has lately stepped up his attacks. He's attacked back. Quote, you've got a president who's talking about putting the previous one in legal jeopardy. To put it nicely, we have not seen a situation like that in history. That according to Michael Beschloss, it takes antipathy of a new president for a predecessor to a new level. Uh, it was a problem before in the past. The first such East Room ceremony with the president and successor, 1978, between Jimmy Carter and Gerald Ford, although Lady Bird had also previously hosted ceremonies with Eleanor Roosevelt. And next, CVS to return $43 million in stimulus money. Uh, the health, uh, the health, CVS Health announced a letter to Health and Human Services uh, Alex Azar, that the company would return all that money. Quote, as you know, CVS Health did not solicit these funds, but received them as part of the automatic distribution of the funds of Health and Human Services. Again, it's misused, this time, not on purpose. I'm Brian Kilmeade, and that is More to Know. Now, now you know more, still- thanks to the exactly. Brian Kilmeade Show. So true. Coming up next, the owner of Waterside Grill in Freeport, Long Island. She'll talk about the plight of her business and possibly your business in America today. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Look, I've been talking to some you know, ordinary people, friends of mine in Austin, the woman who cuts my hair, a guy whom I've known for 30 years who I was there. I was his first customer when he opened a little two or three person printing shop. He's got 80 employees. I mean, these people are making enormous sacrifices in order to, you know, keep their employees or keep their business alive. And uh, that is uh, Carl Rove talking about the small business owner and how they're paying the price for these lengthy shutdowns. And people act like they know what's going on, but they don't because they don't experience it. They don't understand that you can't get business back. And then people got to be rest assured. And then you got to be able to pay your rent. And when it comes to restaurants, you have to be able to work for a living. Uh, and it's not working right now. Luis Romano Wise knows that very well. Her son owns Rachel's Waterside Grill in Freeport, Long Island. It's an historic area called the Freeport Nautical Mile. And if they can't get business in the spring and summer, they will go belly up. And here in Nassau County, we're just about ready. But every day that goes by, it makes it almost impossible for a restaurant to ultimately survive. Louise, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Radio Show. Thank you. First off, tell me what your son's going through right now as owner of the water, Rachel's Waterside Grill. Well, they're trying to do some takeout, but that's just basically keeping the lights on in the building uh, and maybe keeping, you know, one employee employed uh, with the money that they make from the takeout. That's what they've been paying the one or two employees, depending on how business is. But other than that... They're not going to make it. He's beside himself. He said, uh, the mile is bleeding, okay? Uh, if they open with the 25 nautical mile for people around the country. Yep. And uh, the, the, there's so many different aspects to this. There's fishing boats. Fishing, the guys come in with fish, fresh fish. They come to the back of the restaurant. Uh, there's window cleaners. There's knife sharpeners. Uh, the, the party boats can't go out. We don't understand what's going on, why they can't open. And at 25%, he said that's just one nail in the coffin. 25% of what do you mean? If they open with 25%, that's oh, okay. just a nail in the coffin. 25% capacity. Because these restaurants so, are small. Do you think, so people say, well, the PPP should keep you, uh, keep you guys going. What's the reality? Not with the money that they, the expenses that they have down there, the taxes, uh, the the lighting, the gas, I, I can't even begin all the different aspects of all, all the insurances that they pay. Workman's comp, uh, I, I can't even, the state, I, I don't even, I can't even think about all the different expenses. And after 22 years, uh, he doesn't think they're going to make it. The restaurant next door to him, 90 years has been there. Otto's. Wow. Okay. Of Another course. restaurant I know up the- I'm from Ma- Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm from Massapequa, so I know it. I know it, and I know there's, they all have this, this great history to them wherever you go. The history of the country is there. Right. Yeah. Crab Shack was handed down from father to son. Uh, another restaurant, Nautilus, 25 years. Give you an example. Last week, when it was beautiful, a few people came and they sat on one of the decks 
uh, and had a beer. And within 10 minutes, uh, the authorities were down there ticketing the uh, restaurant or the the bar, actually. That's all they wanted was a beer and to sit down. This has got to stop. And Louise, uh, for people around the country listening, this is fine. Nassau County is fine. Yep. Uh, Suffolk County is fine. Even New York City. These people want to work. Those rents are through the roof. They were barely making it anyway with the minimum wage got jacked up, jacking up all these prices. They were barely making it. And now they just shut it down and say, well, we want to be safe. We, we're never going to crush this virus entirely. We know, we know how to live with it. Would your son make the adjustments to his place, space out some tables and get it working, right? He'd be willing to do that? Oh, absolutely. They're already in the process of, you know, restructuring the interior. Um, You know, they already, even when they have this takeout, they have a table where they have masks and gloves and disinfectants so that when people come in to, if they come in to pick up their food and they don't go physically out to the curb, people can actually disinfect themselves or the boxes or whatever they want. But yes, they are already restructuring uh, the whole entire, well, they have a deck, okay? So if they can do some outside, they're trying to work out something. If they can maybe use a parking lot, they're trying to do something to stay alive. So listen, if you're listening to this right now, uh, go out to Rachel's Waterside Grill. Help them stay alive. I know you want to cook in your backyard. There's a beautiful place you'll love to drive. I hope they sober up in Nassau County after Memorial Day. It kills me that you guys can't be open. Even in bad weather, you want to be down there. It's a sight to see the fishing boats go right from the nets to your table. It's unbelievable. And it's just an example, as you listen around the country, of how politicians don't understand what delay means. Delay is destroying businesses like that. That's why when, Louise, you wrote me, I wanted to bring your son's story uh, front and center. Uh, I'm pulling for you, and I'll be down there. Just tell your son to hold on, and hopefully Nassau County will get you open in May. Louise Romano-Wise, thanks so much. Thank you, and I watch you every morning. Thank you, and keep listening to the show locally on uh, 77 uh, WABC. Thanks, Louise. Um, so that, that's the story. And if you have your story, I'll read them here. Go to, uh, or you go to um, BrianKillMe.com, click on, um, uh, click on comments, and it'll come right to me. So if you have a story and I can help, I'll do it because the good news is I'm kind of tight with Kevin Brady and Marco Rubio. I'm able to try to get to them some legitimate questions, and they've been getting right back to me. And because they all want to, they want to help. I'm convinced they want to do it right. I am not convinced of Blasio. I am not convinced on some of these governors. I am not convinced on certainly in Michigan, in Washington, and in Pennsylvania Their eradication of the virus for our welfare is killing us. If you want to break, go to scale up, go to BrianKillMe.com and uh, tell me what you think. I appreciate it. Uh, Meanwhile, if you uh, have some time, I'm going to go on Instagram Live because I haven't been on enough television and radio today. Instagram Live at 1230. I'll be able to answer your questions. We'll talk about Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. 1230. I'll be doing this every Wednesday now for a half hour. I'll be able to answer you and interact with you live. I've never done it before, but I look forward to it. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.